pray too. Lord, thank you for this time that we can dig into your word, and we pray it would just uh, make us come alive. As your word's a living word, we pray that you just bless uh, this message, that you'd speak through it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we are in a turning point. We're moving into the fall season. The weather's going to be better, and, and uh, it's just it's nice to have temperatures that are below 80. Um, but there's a peace and there's a presence of the Lord that's available through Jesus Christ to every believer. And it's when we magnify him, when we lift him up, that's when things get better in our turning times, in our turning seasons. If we acknowledge him in every path, he will, he will direct our paths. It says that in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. And it's so easy to forget to acknowledge him. And that's when our paths get kind of misdirected. But uh, we're going to look into a book today that is acknowledging Jesus through and through. And you know, um, Hebrews is one of my favorite books of the Bible. And usually if you'll ask people who love the Lord, they're going to say among their favorite books of the Bible, usually Hebrews is going to stand out among them. Maybe Romans comes in there and, you know, the gospel. You know, every book of the Bible is important, and every book of the Bible has wonders and glories and the revelation of it, but there's something about Hebrews that stands out, and I believe what it is is that Hebrews presents Jesus Christ as superior. Talk about acknowledging the, the Lord. Hebrews acknowledges Jesus. Now you say, every book of the Bible acknowledges Jesus. And I believe that. In fact, you could read through Genesis to the book of Revelation. And you can see Jesus on every page. Well, what? How can you see Jesus? He didn't come around till the Gospels. Yes, but he's there in spirit. He's there in type. He's there in the workings of God. You can see uh, the message of the gospel, it's veiled, but it's there. And if you're praying and you're reading the Bible looking for Jesus, the Holy Spirit will show you Jesus throughout the word. And Jesus is the theme of the Bible. He is the superior one. And every book of the Bible will point to him as the superior one if you're willing and open-hearted to seeing that. But something about Hebrews just stands out because Hebrews presents him in as superior in a particularly strong manner, in a particularly strong manner. And it was written to encourage the Jewish Christians at the time. They were going through some very difficult struggles. They were, they were feeling the pull of traditionalism by their peers. You and they were being excommunicated from synagogue. So it was costing them something. And some of them were suffering great losses of their goods in which it, uh, later on in Hebrews 10, it talks about how they joyfully endured the plundering of their goods, knowing they had a better possession in heaven. See, that's you, you get on fire for the Lord, you say, sure, you can take my goods, you can take my life, and everything's, yeah, I got it all better in heaven, and we do. But you know what? Weariness can set in. And after a while, you can start to say, how much longer is this going on? Has any, is anybody in a situation you might be thinking, I don't know how much longer I can take. You know, I started off well. I was doing good. I was encouraged. But, you know, things just don't seem to be changing. And things are just going in this direction. I don't know much, how much longer I can take of this. And then you're looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. And you see one, but it's another train coming. It's like, oh no, what now? And this is kind of what the situation was for the Jewish Christians, and that's why it applies to us today. When you put Jesus up as superior, it can affect your heart and it can give you strength. So we talked about last week about being wholehearted for the Lord. How many of us are really wholehearted for the, for the Lord? We want to be, I hope. But the Hebrew Christians, they were possibly losing heart at this time. And the remedy is not religious platitudes and happy sayings and feel-good uh, thoughts, but it's presenting Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is this one that you've made Lord? Who is this one who has saved us? And if you're hard 
we talked last week, is it hard-hearted, is it part-hearted, or is it whole-hearted? If it's hard-hearted, Jesus can soften it. You, get a vi- uh, you put him in view. You look to him. It's like they had to look to the serpent on the pole in the Old Testament book of Numbers to be healed by the snake bite. They got bitten by snakes. They put an image of a snake on a pole, and the Lord directed them to look to that snake on the pole, and they would be healed. How? I don't know. It's the Lord put the curse on the pole. And the same thing with Jesus. You, you're undergoing parts of the curse, the remnant of the curse in the life, but Jesus became a curse for us. You look on that pole, and he can heal you. He can heal you of that hardened heart. He can make your part-hearted heart wholehearted. And so how do we get a glimpse of Jesus? We've seen pictures of Jesus. I'm not saying look at pictures of Jesus. I'm not much for pictures of Jesus because nobody really knows what he looked like. And uh, I don't want to look at somebody and say that's Jesus when it's not. So I, I have a hard time with movies and things like that. They're not that they're all bad, but... Um, but getting a spiritual revelation, and that's where the word comes in. That's where the word helps us, and we can get into who the person of Jesus is, what that means to us, and how that can help us, and, and what we have in him. And so um, we're going to look at the book of Hebrews. We're going we're gonna to go through this book, and we're going to ask the Lord to just do things in our lives. But like I said, it was about, it was written for Jewish Christians. They were being persecuted. It was to teach them the way of the new covenant. And the author of the book was most likely Paul. Of course, there are lots of scholarship debates about who wrote the book of Hebrews, and I'm not going to get into that. But you want my personal opinion? I believe it was Paul. There's lots of good stuff you can read and and get into that. But really, we don't have to get into that so much. It's not so important who wrote it when the Holy Spirit is the main author who inspired it. And we don't have to focus on the human author. We We focus on the content of the message. And the book is broken up. I have it broken up into three parts from Hebrews chapter 1 to chapter 4, the middle of chapter 4, verse 13. It's talking about the superiority of Christ and his message. What did he come to say, speak, show, reveal? And then from Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 10, 34, it's, it's focused on the superiority of his work as a high priest and the new covenant. Wow, what is that? that sounds pretty religious, the high priest and the new covenant. You know, we don't have this religious kind of thinking in our day, but that was the Old Testament setup of a priest that would atone for the sins of Israel. And what did that mean? And what's that mean for us today in the New Covenant? That's what Hebrews will go in and talk about. And that's where you get some really good news. And then the last part of the book, Hebrews 10, 35 to 13, 25, uh, goes into the practical walk of faith in the superiority of Christ. So I'm calling this Hebrews for the heart because it's not going to be a head thing. It's not going to be, i got to learn some scripture. I'm learning a book of the Bible. It's like, I want this book of Hebrews to get into my heart so that I, too, can worship Jesus as above all, that he's everything, that he's superior, just as it says. And we need help in this. We need help. That's why we come to church. We need to see each other pursuing Jesus together because when we get out in the world, it's not happening. When we turn on the TV, it's distracting. When we're about our business, work, school, play, there's all kinds of peer pressure to be anything other than looking to Jesus. And what kind of nut are you? But at least we're not yet losing our houses, homes, and goods. Some people lose their jobs and things. But uh, can you get to the place where you could joyfully endure that? And I'm not asking to answer, but to ask yourself that. Am I in that place? And if you're not, what's the answer? It's to say, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Show me the superiority of Christ. I am a person of flesh. I'm in the natural. I'm naturally tended towards wanting to hold on and to go with the flow. But I want to go with the supernatural flow. I want to go with the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and have an inheritance forever in him and to be affected by it now. Amen? So, let's look at Hebrews first, the first few verses, 1 through 4. I'm going to read through verses 1 through 4 to begin with. 
God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than the angels and he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they so we're not going to be here all day but we probably probably could talk about these verses all day i'm going to go through and give you some highlight thoughts on how to interpret what's just been told to us through these first few verses first it says that god spoke god who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets let's just focus on this for a second god spoke and god speaks he spoke in times past in different ways through the prophets he's speaking today through jesus but the point we see at the beginning is that god spoke and some of you recall the first book of the bible it says in the beginning the lord said you know the lord created the heavens and the earth he spoke he said let there be light he he spoke things into existence and when god speaks life comes forth and god speaks there is power in the spoken word and as we look at these things we have to remember whose image we're made in we are made in the image of god and we speak and do you understand that your words have power not the same power as you can't speak a world into existence from nothing but proverbs 18 21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof what we speak is very important because our hearts can be in one place but we could be speaking death encountering the faith we're trying to build up in our hearts we could be speaking you know god spoke and it was powerful he spoke through prophets but he spoke also finally through his son what did he speak through his son but life those who believe in the son have eternal life again are we speaking life to people are we speaking life to ourselves oh, i'm so miserable i'm a wretch i'm a failure i'll never make it that's speaking death it's it's he spoke through the prophets and we don't want to prophesy over ourselves the wrong thing by speaking death we want to speak life because we are made in the image of god and what we say can affect us but here's what we see god spoke and there is power when he speaks but it's not just power that god communicates god communicates his love because he spoke he is communicating that he is a god that wants relationship with the world with each one of us not just the world in general but with each one of us speaking means that there's communication communication means that there's relationship how many of you have ever encountered someone who said i'm not speaking to you you know there's a i don't i'm not interested in this relationship at this moment usually it kind of goes away after a while hopefully but the fact that god has spoken means that he didn't just set this world in order he did he had a means a purpose an end it's almost as if he created the world because he wanted to have this relationship with us and there it is he spoke through the prophets to try to get people to know who he is and what he wants but in these last days the last days since the time of christ that's the end he's not speaking in different ways now he's speaking through the person of the son you know some people talk about sign language god speaks in son language everything about the lord who you want to know who he is what he's done is in the express image of jesus christ in the in one translation of the bible express image is translated as the exact representation of god so god has spoken not just through the words of what jesus said but through his actions and you know many times actions speak louder than words but god has spoken through the person of christ and what has he spoken he laid down his life for us he came that we might live he left the brightness of his glory 
he spoke a word, the son went into our life, into our realm, leaving the realm of the brightness of his glory, the exact representation of God. And he took on a humble form. That's God speaking to us, to us, saying, I love you. I want to have you in a place of life and not death. And Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word. So these last days he spoke through his son. You need to interpret things in scripture and in life. You don't need to know the Greek and Hebrew. That helps. If you want to study the Bible, learn some Greek and Hebrew. But how do you interpret things through scripture? How do you interpret things that are going on in your life? You interpret not through the Greek and Hebrew, but through the son. Have you learned the son language? Are you speaking son language? Are you listening to son language? Because that's the filter that we have to approach everything with. And the Bible will come alive even more to you when you start to read things through the lens filter of son language, through the son. How does this pertain to the son? How did Jesus fulfill this? How did this get remedied through the appearances? Everything in the Old Testament, you could say, yeah, that looked pretty bad. How did Jesus remedy that? What, how is Jesus the answer in this situation, in my life right now, in what I'm going through? That's filtering things through the Son. You know, we talk about the nature of God. God's nature towards us is love and goodness. But you'll read things in the Old Testament. You say, well, that looks pretty harsh or that looks pretty. Why did God do that? There's questions and things like that. And I always go back to, yes, there are questions. We don't understand things, but we didn't have a full understanding of who God is until the exact representation, the express image of Jesus. If you want to know who God is, you go through the filter of the Son. You don't get hung up on that question. That was an Old Covenant, Old Testament act and something there that we may not understand. But if we want to know who God is, what his heart truly is for his creation and his people, for us, we look at it through what he's spoken these last days through his Son. He spoke some pretty harsh things through the prophets. He spoke grace and truth through the Son. He's not speaking harsh things to you today. You might think he's beating you up, beating you down. You might have a past you're upset about. But God speaks to us through Jesus, grace and truth, invitation, and that there's no one outside of his love. And it's available for any who would receive it. But we don't receive it sometimes because we're not listening to sun language. We're listening to sin language and saying, I'm too sinful, too too wrong, too off, I can't ever be better. we got to listen to son language. Son, I paid it all for you. Even that last sin you might have just committed, the thing you just thought about a, a second ago, it's paid for, done. And that's the beauty. Are you listening to him? Or, he's the one that has the wisdom. It says that he is the creator. In verse uh, 2, it says he's the heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. He made the ages. The worlds there means ages. So he didn't just create and be done, but he's still in process, succession through the ages. He's involved in the world. He's involved in our life, and he is the heir of all things. Everything was by him, for him, and is coming back to him. He's the heir of all things, and that means we should be listening to him. Why are we trying to get our wisdom from other voices out there when he's the one who made it all, should know best, and it's all coming back to him? So the only wise thing to do is to be about his wisdom and listening to him. But now, again, we are blessed because of what Jesus has done. He is the heir of all things. All is returning to him in the end. That's the superiority of Jesus. But the good news of the gospel comes to us in a spot in Romans 8, 17, that if you are uh, believers in Christ, if you're children of his, if children, then you are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. He's heir of all things. All things will return to him, and yet we are joint heirs with him. Okay, let that sink in for a second. God will have it all. And he doesn't just have mercy on us. He doesn't just give us a little piece of the pie. 
but it's joint heirs with Christ. And how can that be? Well, it's because of what it says next in verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay. First of all, he gave us his word. We have his word. He upholds, he upholds all things by the word of his power. The fact that you and I are here today, that we're still going, that the seasons are turning just as consistently as we, we expect them to, is because he upholds all things by the word of his power. We are not in a random state of chaos. We are not in an accidental, furious, chance universe where anything can happen. He is upholding all things by the word of his power, and he keeps his word. And he keeps his word, and we, again, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Do we keep our word? Have we spoken and not kept our word? Well, do you want to be like God? Mean what you say, say what you mean. When you mess up, if you haven't been like God, here's the good news. He who upholds all things by the power of his word, the heir of all things, he himself purged us of our sins. He himself purged us. This means you're off the hook. No, it's too, I got to do something. I got to beat myself up. No, you're off, your sins have been purged. He himself purged us of our sins. And you know what we tend to do is we want to be part of that process. We want to purge ourselves. It's not good enough that Jesus purged us. We got to feel guilty for a little bit. We got to beat ourselves up. We've got to make amends. And we've... The fact that Jesus purged our sins, you'll hear it over and over again in church. It's the constant re returning theme. It's the good news of the gospel, and yet it's one of the hardest things to really adapt and get stuck in your head and in your heart. Because once you do, you understand that that puts you in a position with God, a right standing with God. That makes you a righteous person because of everything that Jesus did, and it has nothing to do with you weeping and moaning and groaning and confessing even your sins, you have to believe that Jesus paid for your sins and his righteousness becomes yours. You become right standing with God. That means he hears you, he blesses you, he'll answer your prayers, he loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. But we don't feel like we are the righteousness of God. We know ourselves too well and we're focused too much on self. It's self-language we're listening to. If we can get that Jesus himself did it, it's done. That's how God has spoken to us. You're off the hook. You're clear because of what he did on the cross, and he did it himself. You will never be able to add to that or take away from that. Hallelujah. It's the good news. That means that no matter what a mess up I am, I can stand here and preach because, and preach with authority because it's not me, the foolish Rick, the messed up Rick. It's the authority of Christ by what he's done on the cross. And as long as I'm preaching the truth, he's, he's behind that truth and it's got authority. And he loves me. I don't know why. I don't know. I, I would argue against it, but I'm not going to disagree with God. Has, have any of you been disagreeing with God? How can you love me, Lord? Oh, I'm sorry. Man, I'm just a failure. I'm just a wreck. I'll Stop disagreeing with God. He did it. He's not requiring anything from you. He himself purged us. That's the glory. And he, when he was the brightness of his glory, he took it upon himself. The father said, go, will you go? The son said, yeah, I'll go. And the spirit said, I'll, I'll be in the, the process. They did it willingly, and, they, and, they, and Jesus left that brightness of his glory to enter into the darkness of this world. And only he could have done it. He took it upon himself. He made himself from the highest down to the lowest. So God not only spoke to show his desire for relationship to us, but he humbled himself. And he took it all upon himself. You think of that then. What's, what about the pride and arrogance of man? What about the pride and arrogance of of people out there wanting to make a show for themselves, wanting to get all the power they've got, wanting to be esteemed and respected and 
everything. I'm not saying reputation's bad or respect and esteem is bad, but the pride of man to think that he can be numero uno and the top of the charts when God went from everything to nothing, humbled himself, and became obedient even unto the death of the cross. Why? So that we could be in relationship with God as his righteousness, his very favored ones accepted in the beloved. Only Jesus could have done that. We can't add to it or take to it. And that humbling is another thing. We're in his image. Do we want to be great? Do we want, it says that he was seated at the end of that at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we learned something from this, that what goes down must come up. You've heard it the other way, I'm sure. What goes up must come down. But in the Christian life, what goes down must come up. You can't keep a good man down. And Jesus went from the lowest to the highest. And he said also in uh, Mark 10, 43, whoever would be great among you shall be your servant. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You want to be great? It's not wrong to want to be great. That's not pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance is, I'm the greatest, and everyone's got to look to me. No, but there is a, a, a heavenly great that you can be, that God wants you to be great. And how's that greatness? It's by walking as a child of God, believing his truth and humbling yourself and understanding that when you do humble yourself, when you do go low, you're actually planting yourself for a, an uprising, a being lifted up, a promotion. If you'll defer and go God's way, God will lift you up God's way, and it's a way that's greater than man's way. And that's the beauty of the gospel. What goes down must come up. We go down saying, enough of myself. I want Jesus. And Jesus raises us up and even seats us with him in heavenly places. It says that he was seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much better, verse 4, having become much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So now, this author, who I believe is Paul, but I won't keep saying that and bothering you, but uh, the author of Hebrews is saying, look at Jesus, he's greater than the angels. To which of the angels did he say, this day I have begotten you, and I will be, uh, a, you are my son, I've, I will be a father to him, and you shall be a son. He didn't say that to the angels. He didn't say that to the angels. He said it to the son. That sets the son in a higher place. And talking to the Hebrews, the Jewish Christians, you know, in the Old Covenant, angels were something to be reckoned with. Angels were pretty great. Angels were pretty fantastic. In fact, you see the angels commanding fear. Out of, not commanding. They'd always say, do not fear. But their appearance, their presence just infected people with a sense of awe and dread and they'd have to say fear not fear not i'm here on god's errand or in other places angels were so mighty and strong that they were the carriers out of god's judgment at the time so angels are pretty something they're pretty big they're pretty fierce they're pretty impressive and god is saying the sun is greater than the angels in psalm 103 20 to 21 the word says, bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, you ministers of all who do his pleasure. So, Lord, of all you hosts, hosts is a military term, but you've got excel in strength, all his hosts. And what do they do? They heed the word. God says the word. Again, God speaks, and they're off, and they're doing the deed. They are messengers of the Lord, but they have great abilities, powers. They are supernatural beings, and the Son is greater, but they heed the word of God. goes back to what I'm saying also about your words. Are you speaking the word of God in your life? Later, we're going to find that angels are assigned to believers to be ministers to us, 
and we could be speaking the word. They will heed the word. That's how they minister. They go according to the word of the Lord. And to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? They are ministers, but you are my son, he says to Jesus. And the glorious thing now is that he said that to us as well. We have become, by faith, by the cross of Christ and his resurrection, and simply receiving him by faith and believing, we have become children of God. The angels could not fathom it. We have been put in a position with Jesus, higher than the angels. Even though we are in a lower form, God has done something incredible. To which of the angels did he say, you are my son? And that quote is, by the way, from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. A lot of these quotes throughout Hebrews that we're going to be looking at, they come from the Psalms and from different Old Testament portions. He's using their scriptures to show them, it's see, like I said before, Jesus is in these scriptures throughout the Old Testament. And here's where it comes. You see it filtered out through the lens of Christ. But God says to him, you are my son. And what does 1 John 3, 1 to 3 say about us? Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. The angels weren't even called that. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And this is, you are now children of God, and you're not going to become an angel when you die. Some people say, oh, so-and-so died. God wanted another angel in heaven. No, you do not become an angel, and you wouldn't want to become an angel because you are a child of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. We should be called children of God. And the angels tend to his children. The angels are subservient to his children. And I'm not saying that with any disrespect to angels. I'm in awe of angels as we see them presented in Scripture. But I'm saying that we have a place in Christ because Jesus is higher and because of what he did. He himself purged us. Angels couldn't have done any part of that. As mighty as they were, only he could have affected it, showing that he was above that. He was not an archangel like some... Uh, Catholic groups might say, or some cults might say, Michael, the archangel, somebody who says Jesus is just an arch. No, he was the son. He was appointed. He was God in the flesh, the exact representation, the express image of God. And because of that, he was able to himself purge us. And we are now children of God. It's not that we're becoming. We are children of God. And it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. That purity, who doesn't like purity? Who wants a good, cold, pure glass of what? Water, iced tea, Coke, what is it you want? Whatever you want, it, it's got to be pure, right? How about our lives? Don't we want to be pure? I, it's, you just function better with pure. It's, it tastes better when it's pure. It's refreshing when it's pure. Your life can be refreshing through purity. A lot of people have the wrong idea. You've got pure, the Puritans, the Puritans beating people up, being pure. You know, that's all been twisted and abused, but it's, it's the beauty of purity is what brings the refreshment, the refreshment in our lives. And we have a hope says, yeah, I want, I, want, I want to be where the life is. So he was sat down to which of the angels did he say, you are my son. And then let's go to verse 6. But to the son he says, no, I'm sorry, not verse 6. Yeah, verse 6, I just read the wrong place. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him okay this is an incredible verse let all the angels of god worship him that phrase comes from psalm 97 verse 7 but if you go looking in your bible psalm 97 verse 7 it's not going to say let all the angels of god worship him what's going on with that it actually says in the english translation of it worship him all ye gods and apparently uh it was translated in the Septuagint, something that came later, a Greek translation 
of the Old Testament scriptures, and a lot of the uh, early church fathers and the apostles, and I believe Jesus also quoted from the Septuagint sometimes, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, and that's where they got, let all the angels of God worship him. But in this, you see the superiority of Christ, that all the angels of God are called to worship him, or even as it, we have it in our book of Psalms, oh, worship him, all you, all you uh, creatures. Worship him, all you gods, is what it says. Worship him, all you gods. Jesus receives worship. It is commanded to worship him. This shows the divinity of Christ. If you haven't seen the divinity of Christ yet, he's the heir of all things. He's the upholder of, of all things. He's the creator of all things. And now he's above the angels, and they're saying that all the angels of God need to worship him. We see a divine Jesus. And this is important because there are cults in the world, there are different religions that say, well, Jesus was just a man, or Jesus was an angel, Michael the archangel, or whatever it is. Some people have a hard time, I know, in the Jewish uh, tradition, some people have a hard time accepting Jesus because they've heard the Deuteronomy uh, quote that uh, the Lord is one, he's, there's only one God. They have a hard time getting, getting beyond the one of God. And we come up with this, this interesting doctrine called the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we're not saying there are three gods. There is only one, but he has manifested himself in three different representations. Now you ask, how can he do that? You're going to have to hold that question for the end when you finally meet him. It's something that you might not understand but has to be received by faith. And it's not a blind faith. It's clearly revealed throughout Scripture. And it's clearly revealed here that Jesus is to be worshipped and that he's part of creation. There's other places that say that just that Jesus is our Savior speaks of his divinity. I'll give you three passages from Isaiah among many. Isaiah 45, 21, the Lord says, There is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. No other God. Isaiah 49, 26, I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer. And Isaiah 48, 11, I will not give my glory to another. And yet, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And we call Jesus Savior. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. Well, God said in the Old Testament, I am the Savior. There is no other. So we see something about Jesus here, that he's no ordinary individual. He's no man. He, he's not an angel. I mean, he's, he's part man. That's the mystery of it. But he is the divine. He is God in the flesh. And this is the only way that he could purge us of our sins. A man couldn't pay for our sins, him having his own sins to have to atone for. Angels couldn't pay for our sins because they weren't of like nature. It had to be God and man in some strange, mysterious union that God will one day reveal in a way possibly we can get, but he himself did it. And he is to be worshipped and we, we are in a blessed place when we can see that. There are people who get hung up on who Jesus is. Jesus is superior. And this is what we're going to see throughout the book. There's so much more. We could do a whole, a whole study on the divinity of Christ. So he says in verse 7 to the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God. There, there he is calling him God. Again, another sign of the divinity of Christ. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So he makes his angels spirits. He makes his Son a throne. And, and what are angels anyway but spirits in the spiritual realm that should be cluing us in on that we're not just seeing everything their things are not as they seem but there is an invisible realm and these ministers they're ministers this is a quote from psalm 104 verse 4 he makes his angels ministers ministers a flame of fire what do you think of when you think of a flame of fire heat <laughs> passion heat glory light 
We've talked about fire before. Everybody likes to stare at a fire. There's light, there's glory, there's heat, there's something glorious about angels. There's passion in angels. There's, 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 uh, there's power. And yet Jesus is above that. Angels are ministers of fire, but the Son has a throne. He is given a kingdom. And you and I, you and I can learn from the angels. Angels, the, the word behind angels in the original languages is more or less messengers. They're just messengers. Of course, we know that there's something more to them. Like I said, they excel in strength. It's a military term. You've seen pictures of angels, the little cute things with the angels or the, the soft angelic things there may be some uh form of angelic maybe cherubim seraphim things like that i don't know but angels for the most part are mighty awesome dread inspiring creatures but they are ministers of passion for the lord they heed the word of god and we can take that and say how can we be angelic we're children of god we can be of heaven, of God. And, and that's all that it really I'm talking about when I'm saying being angelic. They're just being in line with the word of God and they're full of fire and passion for it. And if we could get that way, we would come off as more angelic. So be what you want to be, an, an angel or a child of God. You can be angelic. You are a child of God. Just get the fire and the passion. Well, how do I get that fire and passion? That's what we're trying to get at with the book of Hebrews. Get Jesus in front of you as superior and everything else begins to fade away. Even that situation, that problem that's trying to drag you down, put Jesus in front of it and see what happens. He has a throne. He has a kingdom. In verse 8, he says, Your throne is forever and ever. His kingdom will not come to an end. We're having an election year next year and people are fighting and bickering and arguing and in throwing out misinformation, there's going to be a change of the kingdom. But Jesus' kingdom is never ending. It is a kingdom wherein righteousness dwells. Hallelujah. There's no corruption. There's nothing that's going to interfere with his rule and reign. And he's not just inviting uh, angels to rule and reign with him. In fact, the angels aren't said to rule and reign. They are the ones that are ministers. But it is spoken that you and I will rule and reign with Christ. If we suffer with him, we will reign. And to which of the angels did he say, sit at, my, sit at my right hand, sit at the throne? And yet in Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse uh, 9, I think, it, or 6, it's, uh, chapter 2 it talks about us being seated in heavenly places in Christ. We're already in the Spirit, seated in heavenly places. Say, I don't have much control, I don't have much power in this world. You may, you may have more later, you may not, but what you've got coming, you're seated in heavenly places in Christ, and you do have more power than you realize when you understand you're a child of God, you're the righteousness of God. That means God hears you, God is with you, God is for you, not against you. He's blessing you. You have to get into this mode of, I have more than I thought I had, because I don't deserve it. No, you do deserve it, not because you deserve it, but because Jesus deserves it, and Jesus purchased it that you would be in right standing with god and god has promised it god has spoken there are blessings that we're missing because we still don't understand who we are in christ and what he's done he himself purging our sins and verse 9 he says you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness therefore god your god again addressing him as god has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And it's what I was saying about purity. Purity is wonderful. It's refreshing. But look at what you've loved, righteousness, and hated sin, hated iniquity, lawlessness, whatever you call it. But when you love righteousness and hate lawlessness, the outcome is God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And this is an interesting verse, too. Um, this is an interesting verse because this is a quotation from Psalm 45, uh, the Old Testament. But we also learn in the Old Testament that Jesus is referred to as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And sometimes we just box him in as to this man of sorrows acquainted with grief. 
we also need to see him in his fullness. He's not just in the man of sorrows mold. He's also anointed of God with the oil of gladness more than his companions. And how are we going about? There are some people about somber religion. And that used to be me. I, I'll confess. I was a somber religionist. And I was just sorrowful all the time, angry all the time, and because I loved righteousness and hated wickedness, and so I was pointing at everything else. But you know what? I was pointing at myself at the same time. That made me somber and, and, uh, and uh, sour. That's not what he wants. That's, that's not going to get you anywhere, and good luck with that. I'd rather have the oil of gladness and more than my companions, and that's the eternal life. He who has the Son has the life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. When he says you want to know the life, you want to have the life, he's not talking about somber and crotchety. He's talking about the oil of gladness more than your companions. And that's a good thing. And that's what comes through loving righteousness. See, righteousness isn't just being a moral person. It's, it's being right standing with God and agreeing with God and letting him have his way. And his way is the way of life as opposed to the world way. The way of sin is the way of death. And we've just taken it and twisted it and said, oh, do, do, do. Keep doing your do, do. <laughs> Sorry, this is church. We have to learn to be, 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 be loved, be the child of God, be among his who, who he's anointed. We have received an anointing too, it says in the book of First John. It all starts with your mind, your thinking. Who are you? Who is Jesus? Am I in sync with that and that's what the author is trying to get the Jewish Christians here to be in sync look I know you're losing heart I know things are tough and they're getting your goods and you're excommunicated but look who you are aligned with look at who this person is that you have stepped in the, the ring with and, it, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to play out it's going to work out we know the end of the story but we get sidetracked and distracted often by the middle in verse 10 through 12, it says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. So, it's just by saying everything's going to be changed. We are looking to another age that means we've got to be on guard not to be deceived by the world's temptations and that we, no, we don't want to cling to what's temporary. It's all going to be folded up. It's all going to be changed. But you remain forever. He remains forever, and he's not going to change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to suddenly get senile and forget who he is. He's not going to turn and become dictator and, and uh, a master hitting you over the head. He is good, he is glorious, he is love, and he is going to remain that way. And all eternity is going to do is going to bring us more into a fuller understanding, revelation, glory of that in which we will serve him. We're not going to be playing harps on clouds. We are going to be a part of a kingdom, but it's going to be a glorious thing, and it's going to be a refreshing thing, and we have the deposit now for those who come by faith for those who believe, and those who walk in it, those who want it, who are growing in discipleship. Are you growing as a disciple of Christ? Are you getting yourself more and more in preparation for what he wants to do, not just later, but now as well? And finally, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, this is verse 12, till I make your enemies a footstool, In verse 13, that's why I got that wrong, sorry. And then, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Again, I think I already mentioned it. He said, which of the angels did say, sit at my right hand? But they're just the ministers. And again, you have angels ministering to you all the time. Some people have great angel stories. Anybody have an angel story? When, you know, Linda's got one. She'll tell you about it. 
I got a friend who was in Haiti as a missionary, and the mobs were coming out after them, and they were all, they thought it was over. They, they had their little kids. They were standing in front of their little house, what they were living in. The mobs were coming, and all of a sudden, as they saw the mob approaching, the mob just stopped, and they started to run, and they started to run backwards and things, and they thought, what in the world was that? And later, you know, a few days later, somebody talked to him and said, what was that thing that was standing above your house? It looked like a warrior or something. And they were, they were spared heartache. I mean, maybe you haven't seen that, but I'll bet it's happened in more times than you can understand and know. We get through life. It's amazing that we make it through as much as we do. And there are things that maybe when the day is revealed, we'll see how, how much... We have been the recipients of angelic activity. Well, even in uh, Hebrews 13, verse 2, it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. You never know. You never know. And again, like I said, I think there are angels on us on the roads at times and things. I know there's many times I could have wrecked, and I thought something just prevented that. I don't, and I praise the Lord and thank him. But isn't that exciting? We are, it's exciting. It's also, again, be on the alert because there are angels, but there are also demons. There is a spiritual world. We are part of a spiritual world. It's not all material. And we have to understand. And, but this, the glory of it is, is that we are spiritual beings. We're not just material beings. But some people just live according to the material, live according to material. Learn to live in the spiritual, and you understand how blessed and favored you are in Christ. You've got angels ministering to you, and that Jesus has made the way because he himself purged us of our sins. That means we can come to God boldly before the throne of grace, and we can understand that God is for us, that it's not over. There's not another light at the tunnel, and it's a train coming. There is hope at the end of this passage here, and we're in on the right track. He's telling that to the Hebrews, don't give up now. You're on the right track. You're in the right place. And I would say that to you today. If you love the Lord Jesus, if you're wondering, if can I keep going, you're in the right place because we're all in it together and we have an exciting and glorious heritage because he is greater than the prophets of past, greater than the angels. He is, in fact, the heir of all things and he upholds all things by the power of his word. And he's got a plan, and he is the wisdom, and he is the help in our time of need. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. So I'm going to pray, and as I pray, we'll prepare our hearts for communion. Because as I spoke about the purging of sins, this is what communion reminds us of, that we have access, that we can partake and be a part of him, that he can be a part of us because of what he's done. So, Father, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you that you love us and that you are glorious in Christ Jesus. I thank you that you've made us glorious in Christ Jesus. Help us to receive, to be nourished, to be blessed as we partake of the Lord's Supper in honor of you and what you've done and your, your coming again. In Jesus' name. Amen.